you have your Bible, turn with me to James chapter 1. Today we'll be looking at James 1 verses 19 through 27. You can also find the words printed in your bulletin insert. Today we have a standalone sermon, James 1, verses 19 through 27. A couple times last year when I preached, I did uh, a little bit in James chapter 2, so we're working backwards a little bit. Uh, But James, uh, is a letter written by James, the brother of Jesus, and was an early letter, probably written sometime in uh, around AD 50, so not too far after the death and resurrection ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Before we read this passage, let me pray and ask for the Lord's help. Gracious God, you have told us that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Lord, would you open our eyes to see wondrous things in this your word. Speak, Lord, for your servants listen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Napoleon Bonaparte was one of the best military minds probably in history. And this is evidenced by his great success in conquering many other nations, lands, territories. And one of the great achievements that he had was that he mastered the art of communication on the battlefield. You see, back at this time, they didn't have walkie-talkies or phones, and so communication would be hard. You take The sound from cannons and rifles, you take the smoke, you take just the chaos of a battlefield, not to mention just ordinary struggles and communication, and it was quite hard. And the way that Napoleon came up to deal with it, at least as the legend goes, is quite interesting. He solved this problem by bringing to his command center what he called a marginal idiot, This was someone who could read, but barely. Someone who had a normal intellect, but barely. And so this person would come to his command center, and he would, after writing down his instruction, have this man read it. If he could understand, then great. The message would be sent via the couriers to his generals and other places. 
If he could not understand it, then Napoleon would write it again and rewrite it until this quote-unquote marginal idiot could understand his words. Napoleon knew something key. There's a huge difference between hearing and understanding. Without understanding, his orders were not going to be followed, and the results could be catastrophic in battle. Here in our passage, we see something similar. James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us that we must listen to what God says in order to obey it. Both are key. We can't have one without the other. Failure to do both will lead to catastrophic problems in our spiritual life. In verses 19 through 22, James explains his big idea. And then verses 23 to 25, he illustrates it. And finally, in verses 26 and 27, he gives several points of practical application. So we're going to follow that structure as we work through this text. So first, James begins with the instruction on listening in order to obey. If you have your Bible or your bulletin insert, look back with me at verses 21 and 22. This is the heart of James' point. He says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James is instructing his readers on what it really means to follow Jesus. James is the New Testament version of Proverbs. It's wisdom literature in the form of a letter, epistle. And so sometimes it feels like you're drinking out of a fire hydrant. It's just point after point after point. It's like, whoa. So what James is saying comes across rather abrupt and quick. In order to get the full sense of what he's saying, we need to look back up at verse 18. Right before we started reading, verse 18, it says, Of his, that is God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. When he says that God brought us forth, James means that James means that God gave us rebirth. Perhaps he has in mind John chapter 3 where Jesus tells Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. How does this rebirth happen? James tells us it's through the implanted word of truth. What is the word of truth? It's God's word. In the person of Jesus who is the word, John chapter 1 verse 1, and also the Holy Scriptures. What James is doing here is rather profound. He's telling us that what Christ has done is the fulfillment of the new covenant promise we find in Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, 33 says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Through the coming of Christ, God fulfilled the new covenant promises. Friends, this is the gospel. The word implanted in our hearts is how God saves his people. So we must realize that at the beginning here of our text, it's the gospel is what drives what James is saying. The gospel is what fuels and motivates our obedience. 
So in verses 21 and 22, James is instructing us on the impact that this rebirth has. He's saying, so to speak, now that you've been reborn by the implanted word, this is what you are to do. This is the impact your new birth should have. It's to affect your life. He starts by saying, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That word translated put away carries the sense of taking off. So we can think of taking off clothes and with him taking a filthy idea that maybe taking off dirty clothes. And as the carries the idea also of putting on clean clothes. Kids, imagine that on a day like today when it's really wet and rainy that you go outside and play for hours. And maybe you're playing tackle football and you're in the mud and you're just filthy. Maybe you ride your bike through the puddles and you get mud all over the place. Maybe you're like me when I was a kid and I'd like to find puddles on wet fields and go dive through them, pretending I was a wide receiver catching a pass or an outfielder making a heroic game-saving catch in the World Series. So what happens if you've been outside playing in the rain and the mud? Are you going to be clean or dirty? You're dirty, right? You're filthy, and so what should you do? You should take off those dirty clothes, maybe in the garage, so that you don't bring them and uh, bring mud all throughout the house. I know your mom would be very happy. But you don't just stop there by taking off your dirty clothes. No, you replace them. You take a bath or a shower, and you put on clean clothes. James is saying something very similar. He's saying that we are to take off the filth of our old way to put on something else. Except he doesn't say put on like Paul says in Colossians 3, for example. No, he actually says put off this rampant wickedness and filthiness and receive the word with meekness. James is teaching us something vital here. He's saying that it isn't enough to simply stop doing bad things and replace it with doing good things. He's saying that we are to replace sinful behavior with the word of God. You see, James' big idea is that Jesus didn't come to make you a better version of yourself. He didn't come to clean you up a little bit, dust you off, and put you back on the shelf. No, he came to make you new. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The Word of God through the Spirit of God makes us new. It takes dead people and makes them alive. And so we are to listen to the word of God with meekness. That is to say we listen to it with humility. Not saying that I must know better and the word must be wrong. But no, if my life contradicts God's word, then I must submit to the word. James says that this word is able to save our souls. Now we're tempted to think of salvation as the forgiveness of our sins. And that's true in part. But salvation here, used by James, is holistic in nature. Yes, there's the past element that God has forgiven our sins, but there's also the present, that God is making us more and more like Christ. And there's the future element, that one day we'll be with Christ forever in heaven. James is clear, we need to hear God's word. Which begs the question, are you hearing the Word of God? Are you putting yourself in places to regularly hear God's Word? Or do you only hear it on occasion? Do you read your Bible regularly, or is it only every so often? 
Do you come to church regularly? Is it only when it's convenient? Notice that James doesn't say just to listen to the word. He says don't just be hearers of the word, but doers. Verse 22, being doers of the word is showing us the way to receive the word with meekness. James is calling us to action. He's saying there's a difference between hearing and truly listening, which leads to obedience. Parents, you know this well. Let's imagine that you're getting ready for church on Sunday, and you tell your kids, hey, it's time to go to church. Put your shoes on and meet me at the door. You wait a couple minutes, what happens? Nothing. So you call out again, hey, kids, it's time to go. Put your shoes on, meet me at the door. A couple more minutes, still nothing. So you go, and there they are, reading books, playing video games, playing with their toys. And what do you ask them? Did you hear me? Yeah, I heard you. Where's the disconnect? See, there's, the point is not, when you ask the question, did you hear me? You're not saying, did the, did the sound waves into your ears? But no, why did you not put your shoes on? Why are you not at the door in the car ready to go? Hearing implies that you're going to act upon it. And James is telling us the same thing here. We must not simply hear God's word. We must do it. We must put it into action. What God commands, we must do. Now, perhaps you've been wondering this whole time, John, what about verses 19 and 20? Why did you skip those? I'm glad you asked. At first glance, they seem to be kind of unrelated. But whenever James uses the phrase, my brothers, he's introducing a new topic. You find that all throughout the book of James. So we know that these verses have to be related somehow. And some people take the understanding that that means that they're about the word. That we should be Quick to hear the word, slow to speak about the word, slow to anger about the word. And that makes sense for the first one for sure, and maybe the second one, but the third one, to be angry about the word, doesn't really make sense. I think it's best to understand, as one commentator puts it, that these two verses are a transitionary introduction. They introduce what James is saying about listening in order to obey. If we really listen to God's word, then we will be people who are quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now maybe, you know, you see some wives nudging husbands, hey, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And men, we would do well to put this into practice. Instead of trying to fix everything, we should be people who are quick to listen. Women, the same applies to you, to be people who are slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. For all of us, if we listened more and talked less, we would be less likely to get angry. As James says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. All of what he's saying here is under this big idea of what it means to listen in order to obey. It's a command. He's calling us to live a certain way. And as we begin this new year, we want that to be true for us. In verses 23 through 25, James moves to illustrating his point about listening in order to obey. And his illustration is quite helpful. He says, The one who hears the word only is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Most of us use a mirror every day. At least we should. And how does a mirror work? A mirror shows us 
what we look like. Shows us if we have bedhead. Shows us if we have something stuck in our teeth after dinner. Teenagers, it shows you all those pimples that you love so much. But the point of a mirror isn't simply to show you what you look like. It shows you what you look like so that you can do something about it. You can fix what might be wrong with yourself. Children, let's imagine that right before this service, I'm back in the back, in the bathroom back there, and I look in the mirror, and I see that I have marker on my face. Maybe I fell asleep and somebody drew on me or something. What should I do? You might think it's funny, it would be funny for me to come out and preach like that, but it'd be a distraction, right? No, what I should do is if I notice that I had marker on my face, I should wash it off. Not just seeing it, but doing something about it. Friends, God's word functions like a mirror. It shows us what we are really like. It reveals our sin. It shows us that we aren't basically good. It tells us that we need a savior. And it also tells us how we are to live. It guides our daily life. James is teaching us through this illustration the importance of being doers of the word. It's absurd to think about someone looking at the mirror and realizing something's wrong and then just walking away and forgetting what they look like and not doing anything about it. And James is saying it's absurd or maybe even more absurd to hear God's word, to look at it, and then to fail to put it into practice. Yet how often does this happen in our life? We come to church, we sit under the preached word of God, and then we go home, we eat lunch, we watch some football, we take a nap, we get ready for the week. And let's say on Monday you go to work and someone says, hey, I know you go to church, what did your pastor preach on? Um, uh, you know, it's on the tip of my tongue. I, I, hold on, I, I, I got it somewhere. We can quickly forget. Teenagers, let's say you go on a retreat to Bon Clarkin for the weekend, or you go to Horizon or Quest, you get home, and your parents ask you tons of questions. One of them is, well, what did the pastor preach on? I don't know. I've heard it so many times. And trust me, adults are just as bad. We quickly forget what we hear or read. And so we can't possibly be doers of the word if we've forgotten what we heard or read just moments later. I think it's helpful for us to stop here for just a moment and ask an important question. Why? Why is that? Why do we struggle to remember what we hear? Why do we fail to be doers of the word? I think there's a lot of reasons. I'll mention just a couple. First, I think we are distracted people. If we're honest, we live in a society that is very distracted. You take TV, 24-7 news cycles, the internet, social media, smartphones, and we just don't have the attention spans that we used to have. And so we come to church and we uh, try to focus, but then we start thinking about school or work or the Panthers or what's for lunch, the chores that we have to get done, what's coming this week, and then, lo and behold, we're distracted and we don't really hear What's sad? So maybe to combat this, you decide this year you're going to take notes during the sermon. Maybe that will help you focus. Another reason we fail to hear and do God's word is because we have too low of expectations. 
We don't expect a whole lot when coming to church or opening our Bibles. We fail to realize that when God's word is preached faithfully, God himself is speaking to us through his authorized spokesman. That when we open God's word on our own, we're opening the word of God which is living and active. We expect too little when it comes to God's word. And so maybe we should start changing the way we pray. Saturday night, Sunday morning, Lord, my soul is weary. I know that your word is going to be preached. Speak to me by your word. Coming with expectations to be fed. When you read your Bible on your own, pray that God would illumine his word. The Holy Spirit would apply it to your life. One final reason I'll mention that we struggle listening and being doers of the word is that we tend to hear it and then we just carry on with life. We come to church and then we just move on to other things. We can be quick to move on to what's coming next. Lunch, food, work this week, schoolwork, football game. Instead, we should do well to reflect on what we hear. Maybe what you start doing as a family is you discuss the sermon over lunch on Sunday. If you don't have, one, have, if you don't have someone to eat lunch with, let me know and Amy and I will have you over for lunch one day. Did you know that each week we write a sermon guide and discussion questions for the sermon? It includes an outline of the sermon, the scripture references referenced throughout the sermon, and questions to discuss the passage that gets you thinking. It's sent out each week on Friday in the email that gives you other information about worship. Maybe you use that to help dwell on the word being preached instead of being so quick to just move to the next thing. Friends, we must not look into the mirror and do nothing. James says in verse 22 that the person who does this deceives himself. How frustrating it is to be deceived, but how worse it is if we deceive ourselves. James is saying that we could hear the word week after week and not do anything, and as a result, it doesn't do us any good. How convicting that is. May we be doers of the word remembering that God has already saved us. Remember, our obedience doesn't earn God's favor. It's in response to his salvation and favor. That order is crucial. James closes our passage with several points of practical application. It's as if we can hear him saying, hey, this illustration wasn't enough. All right, let me make it very clear. Here's several things that you can do to put into practice what I'm saying. And the first one he gives us is in verse 26. If anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If we're going to listen in order to obey, it must translate into how we speak. James will expound upon this further in chapter 3, talking about taming the tongue. But his point here is that our language should be something that we take seriously. Slander, gossip, crude joking, lying, backbiting, on and on. Those things are not to be true for us as believers. We need to bridle our tongue. Which means not just avoiding ungodly speech, but replacing it with God-honoring speech. It's not just stop swearing or lying or gossiping, but it's replacing it with not talking about the weather or sports, but talking about God. 
You see, people talk about what they care about, which is why so often we talk about ourselves a lot. But if we really care about God, I think it should affect our speech, and we should talk about Him more. Friends, our language is a good gauge of our spiritual health. Our speech matters because it reflects our heart. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our words reflect what's in our heart. Therefore, we must guard our speech. In verse 27, James gives two more points of application. He says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, we shouldn't take this to mean that this is what it means to be a Christian. If you can just do these two things, then you're good and nothing else matters. That's not James' point. Rather, what he's saying is that if you can't have these things, then you're deceiving yourself and your religion is worthless. So we're to visit orphans and widows. In other words, we're to care for those who are vulnerable in our midst. Are you visiting or calling homebound members in our church? It's a vital role to play. Some of you do a fantastic job of that. I hear it when I go to visit, and it warms my heart. Keep doing that. For the rest of us, we can grow in that. Elders, are you calling and checking on your district? Kids, maybe you write cards to homebound members. We can all care for the widow. And what about the orphan? Do you pray about orphans? Maybe God is calling you to be involved in adoption or foster care ministry. Maybe you'll volunteer. Maybe you'll pray. Maybe you'll be a a foster parent or adopt one day. We can also take James' point a step further. He's reminding us that we all have a role to play in the life of the church. We aren't to view the church with a consumer mentality. Yes, we want to be fed spiritually, but we also need to serve. The Bible knows nothing of a Christian who doesn't serve his or her church. So how is God calling you to serve this year? Maybe it's in the nursery or teaching Sunday school. Maybe it's volunteering in the preschool. Maybe it's helping take care of the grounds. Maybe it's visiting. Maybe it's writing cards. Until God calls us home, we all have a role to play. Don't believe the lie that somebody else will do the job or that you've paid your dues and it's somebody else's time now. No, we all have a responsibility in the life of the church. The last practical application James gives is to keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, we aren't to allow the world and its sinfulness to take us away from Christ. 1 John 2, 15, we read, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We're called to minister in the world. We're called to serve people, but not at the expense of our own soul. We shouldn't let that draw us away from Christ. We must not be corrupted by an ungodly world. May that be true for us. May we all keep ourselves unstained from the world. As we close, remember God desires that we be people who truly listen to his word. Truly listening means being doers of the word. What is God calling you to do? How can you grow in being a doer 
of the word. As we begin this year, may you and I be people of the word, both hearers and doers. Let us pray.